It is an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the estate planning and government assistance laws are quite complex and ever-changing, how do you keep track of them all? Through elder law attorney Michael Cohen. He's there for you to answer any of your planning questions in a way that you and your loved ones will easily understand. Mike has devoted his entire career to dutifully informing and protecting our parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. This is once again your Estate Planning Essentials podcast and radio program. And my name is Don Crawford Jr., the grateful owner of KWM Radio and co-host of this fine program, certainly seeking to protect your family, your assets, and you. And I'm sitting with my friend, my attorney, and the co-host of this program. He is our Dallas estate planning expert who's been doing this a very long time, he tells me. Or I tell him. I probably tell him. And his name is Michael Cohen. Hello, Michael. Hello, Don. How you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. I'm sitting here thinking, looking at the calendar. It's December. Yeah. The year is over, basically. We're already basically on the doorstep of 2024. All these imminent changes are coming now. The state planning and tax brackets and gifting. And it's been quite the whirlwind. And then it's election year, too. I, it's, this is just crazy. Yeah. Um, Time flies. Yes. It's hard to believe another year is just about to pass us by. Uh, of course, with every year, there's new rules, new incomes. There's caps and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, Social Security went up 3.2%. Wow. So, uh, of course, the Medicare Part B premium goes up, too. Mm-hmm. It's going to be uh, uh, over $174 is the Part B premium, but your Social Security is going to go up. That doesn't mean you're getting more income. It, it's because <laughs> the expenses go up. But um, just like anything, uh, there's uh, both not only the tax laws, the amount that you can give, uh, for the federal state tax limits and right. on up to going to be going up for next year if you died in 2024 to 13610000 mm-hmm. The annual gift-giving limit, how much you give for uh, a gift per year per person is going up from 17000 to $18,000. Mm-hmm. Remember, this was the thing that was usually $10,000 a year. Uh, at one point, but with the cost of living going up, every you know it seems like the last few years it's gone up a thousand each year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, of course, your standard deductions, like you mentioned, going up as far as your tax brackets change every year. And similarly, in Medicaid, which I think is going to be the topic today, uh, will be also the caps are different. Uh, why Medicaid? Uh, because long-term care often. Uh, most people don't have insurance or uh, enough assets to pay for the cost of care. And what we see a lot of times is people have, let's say, a loved one at home with Christmas, and you know they want them to have. They know that their loved one is ill, mm-hmm. and they want them to spend one last Christmas at home, and then they may have to go into a nursing home. Right. And they, or maybe they just they didn't realize how bad mom or dad was because they had they live in a different city or whatever. They say, oh, gee. Um, Things are worse than I realized, mm-hmm. and they got some sort of dementia or something has happened where you didn't realize parents' health has declined. And anyway, 
Uh, and so unfortunately, a lot of times people at the beginning of the year say, okay, then we're going to have to unfortunately uh, put somebody, a loved one in a facility, and how are we going to pay for it? Mm-hmm. What are the limits so that we could get governmental assistance? Mm-hmm. Well, the government looks at both assets and income and transfers, things like that. And so we try to a lot of times talk to people about what they can do, what those limits are. So the limits are now changing for 2024. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought I'd mention a few of those things. The first thing. Before you do that, I just want to say when I was driving in this morning, I was thinking about this topic and how important it is that our listeners understand again this admonition to not do it yourself, to have an attorney at least help you to attend Michael's free next workshop. Uh, which is December the 14th, to go to the vision meeting, which is also free, to get more advice, and then to hire an estate planning attorney or government assistance attorney who can shed light, who is there to protect you. I prefer you you hire Michael Cohen to help you, but to protect you so that while you're alive or when you pass away, it's not too late. Well, yeah, I mean, you... Like any type of planning, you just look at the factual situation. Mm -hmm. You know, on today's topic, you know, a lot of people will not fit in this situation at this time. True. But I feel like that because we see a lot of times people at Christmas, you know, in particular, um, they unfortunately do have some sort of health care issue that needs to be addressed, and the cost of care is great. And most people don't realize that Medicare sometimes doesn't pay for care, especially for, like, skilled care uh, or even a lot of times at home care. Mm -hmm. So there are different programs uh, for Medicaid, which are Mm means-tested, and they look at your income to determine if you're eligible. Most people just don't have that insurance or adequate income or assets. So uh, it gets to be a topic, and so a lot of times it's too late to plan, like you just Mm -hmm. said. Uh, So then we have to try to do the best we can with whatever you have. If people, you know, I had somebody in, uh, I think last week, they said, oh, I put so-and-so on, mom put me, the son, on the account. So she figured I don't need a power of attorney because I could get to the asset. She figured, and that's the phrase you use, she figured. Stop figuring. Go ahead. Yeah, so like, so for Medicaid, for example, there's an income cap. Hmm. And that if your income is over that limit, 2023, it's 2742. Next year, it's going up to 2829. Okay. They look at your gross income. Well, how do you get around that? You could do what's called a qualified income trust. In her case, the income was over the cap, but there's no power of attorney. So if you don't have a power of attorney that gives the ability to create a trust, and I might add that most powers of attorney don't even have the ability to create a trust, so that's another reason to look at your power of attorney. Mm-hmm. Then you have to go to court to seek guardianship. Okay, so mom, now we have to go to court to seek guardianship because she just didn't, that's expensive. Right. You have to get, you know, you have two attorneys involved. You have one to represent mom and one to represent uh, whoever's seeking guardianship. You have to go to the court proceedings. You, it, there's also there's actually certain rules. So now that all of a sudden you got all these expenses because she, she thought, oh, I don't need that. But what did she know? Mm-hmm. She, uh, she didn't. Right. And unfortunately, it ends up 
being penny wise and pound foolish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we don't want people to do that. We want mm-hmm. people to plan. We want people to be able to make it easy for our loved ones, as, you know, and not make it more difficult. So that's the I'd, point of the program to be. Uh, Pound-wise, not penny-wise. Yeah, I mean, I know that sometimes people just have limited resources, but some basic things are are needed. I mean, I have two kids, and uh, when they turned 18, I had them do the basic documents. I think everybody should do the basic documents, Great. you know, it could, whether it's just a power of attorney dealing with assets mm-hmm. or income, even though they had hardly anything. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I felt like, oh, yeah, you need to have a power of attorney, medical power of attorney, living will, HIPAA, the ability to have access to medical records, maybe have a will, you know, a lot of different things or trust, depending upon what the situation may be. Mm-hmm. But a lot of different scenarios are who it's it just so many different things that um, that people should consider. And, and the way they should do it is just find out what those things are. Right. Uh, and but anyway, today's topic is about. Uh, on the Medicaid side, and in this example that I just used, the mom didn't have a power of attorney to be able to create an income trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for Medicaid, uh, let me tell you how that works. Okay. If you're, and it depends on where. Uh, there's different, like I told you on another program. There's 109 Medicaid programs. So there's different rules for different Medicaid programs. So for the program where if you go into a nursing home. I just mentioned that the income cap is going up from 2742 to 2829 uh, as of January 1st. Uh, so uh, for that program, if the person was single, then most – if I put the income into the trust, then they're going to ha- have eligibility on the income side. Now, why do they have this rule to begin with? And not every state is like this, by the way. It's about 20 states, or you could do what's called a qualified income trust. Let's say that the cost of care was $7,500, which is about an average rate, and somebody had income $3,000 a month, but they had zero assets. How are they going to pay for the cost of care? And they're ineligible for Medicaid. Right. So this, as a, there was a case called Miller versus Ibarra in 1990 in Colorado, which why it was originally called Miller Trust uh, until somewhere in the 90s, and now it's known as a Qualified Income Trust or QIT. It's all the same thing. Mm-hmm. But you put the income in the trust. If the person's in the nursing home, minus a few deductions like a Medicare Part B, Medicare D. Uh, there's a personal needs allowance just went up to $75. Uh, if you have a Medicare, uh, Medicare supplement, uh, then that could all be deducted, and whatever's left goes to the nursing home as your share. So if you had that $3,000 of income, and after those expenses it was $2,500, you're paying $2,500 for a, some uh, cost of care that would have been $7,500. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're married, uh, it depends on what the income is of the well spouse, uh, because if that income is low enough, there could be a diversion from the trust to the well spouse because the cap uh, on that is going up uh, to $3,853.50. Okay. Uh, right now it's $3,715.50, but as of January 1st, it goes up. So if the total income between the couple was low enough, then the well spouse could have all the income. Now, if the spouse, uh, if the ill spouse or the ill person, whoever the applicant, was at a at home, so there's care at home, so there's a Medicaid program where the state pays somebody to come to the home, uh, and let's say that income uh, was three thousand in our example, 
the uh, and it's over the cap. Uh, unlike a nursing home, uh, and it w- if this is on the Star Plus Medicaid program, where they usually give about 35 to 40 hours a week, mm-hmm. then you get to keep up to the cap, that 2839, and then you only pay the state the excess over that for that cure cost. That's good. 2829, that's SA39, 2829. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you're paying $171 under our example right. for somebody to come out 35 to 40 hours a week plus medication. Tremendous. Yeah. Um, and that's and sometimes you could even well whatever the, the bottom line is for the most part you still have to do a qualified income trust. However, if it's another program, uh, let's say that there's another Medicaid program. Sorry, to go into all these different types of programs, but uh, if you're wanting just to have let's say 15 or 20 hours a week, uh, there's a program called Community Attendant Services. On that program, you cannot do a qualified income trust. Uh, it's a, it's just a different different program, different rules. So each one of these programs has different rules, and so it gets pretty uh, much a Medicaid maze. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, anyway, the the, the income uh, rules. Uh, it, uh, this also gets into the importance again of a power of attorney uh, because you need to have the ability to create a trust. If you didn't have that, which most of them don't, then when you go to the bank, most banks will look at the power of attorney and they'll say, "You can't open up account. There's no authority to create a trust." Mm-hmm. You, oh, by the way, when you have this type of trust, you use your own, even though it's an irrevocable trust, you use your own social security number when setting up the trust. Uh, it used to be way back when, and as I tell you, I'm an elder elder law attorney because this has been going on. These were first permitted uh, in federally under federal law, 1396 BD4A of A, B, C of the uh, uh, Social Security Act. Uh, the it was in 1993, 1993 uh, under it's it called OBRA, the OBRA laws, uh, Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act of 1993, where they allowed this. Um, okay, um, now it originally. They had to, since it was an irrevocable trust, they had your own tax ID number. You apply the, so, you know, the IRS for your own social security uh, tax ID number. Mm-hmm. But after a while, they said, you know, the income goes in and out. There's too much paperwork. Just use your own uh, social uh, security number uh, nowadays. And it's been that way since uh, 19, end of 96 or 97. I can't remember. It's been a long time. Um, anyway, so it's really pretty simple. If uh, It's a pretty simple trust. Uh, if you have income that exceeds the limit. By the way, um, sometimes if you have a well spouse, there's no uh, income, unlike other states, there's no income limit. If you had, let's say somebody had $7,000 of income each month and the well spouse had only 2000 or something mm-hmm. like that, um, well... If that were the case, you might do an income trust and they can maybe get a diversion because remember I told you, in other words, from the trust, if your income is low enough, the well spouse's income is low enough. When I say low enough, lower than the $3,853.50 anticipated level as of January 1st, Mm -hmm. then there could be a diversion of his income to the uh, well spouse. But if that well spouse's income was over that thirty eight fifty three fifty, then there could be no diversion. Fair enough. Yeah. So um, 
so it's really pretty simple um, uh, as far as that goes. And uh, so there are different exceptions to certain irrevocable trusts have their own social security number of the applicant. Now, this also gets into what are the asset limits because there's different asset limits you could have for Medicaid. Um, this is really more on uh, spousal situations. If you're single, there you can only have a couple thousand dollars of countable resources. Now, mm-hmm. there are certain things that do not count. We've talked about on a show a couple weeks ago about a homestead doesn't count, a car doesn't count, a pre-need funeral doesn't count. You could actually own burial spaces for your children and their spouses and siblings and even parents, which includes things like caskets and markers, but not cremation. Personal property items do not count. One car doesn't count, if I didn't say that already. Mm-hmm, you did. Um, and so uh, sometimes people buy things that do not count. Uh, by the way, an IRA that has RMDs, required minimum distributions, also doesn't count. Great. However, they do look at 401Ks, 4, you know, 57s, those other types of uh, uh, retirement accounts, and they do count at the present time. That may be changed, but you typically people roll it over into a – uh, IRA to get it where it doesn't count. So uh, they look at what doesn't. You you look at what counts, and sometimes people convert it into some things that do not count. But if you're a spouse, there's they look at the assets of both. By the way, of both the husband and wife. So even if you had a prenuptial agreement, this is based on federal law, not on state law. So uh, they look at the assets of both the husband and wife. Mm-hmm. So let's say you had. Um, 500,000. Well, they would look at the 500,000 of countable resources if it wasn't in an IRA or whatever. Term life insurance doesn't count, as I mentioned on the show a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. uh, But if the whole life or universal life policy has a face value over 1,500, it also uh, counts as a resource. Okay. All right. So there's new limits. As of January 1st, it's going to go up from $148,620 of the countable resources, not the ones I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's going to go up to $154,150, and there's a minimum. That's the maximum. The minimum is $30,829 as of January 1st. So how do they calculate this, and how do we? Uh, what do we do? All right, so they look at the total assets. So in our example, if you had $500,000, well, they say, oh, you have 500000 There's not an eligibility until you get down to this $154,150. So, my goodness, you mean I have to get rid of uh, or change 350000 approximately? Basically. Well, they're not necessarily. So there's these federal laws to prevent spousal impoverishment. Uh what happened is that it used to be that people would get divorced to get eligible for Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Well, we thought as a society that that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. We do not want to encourage divorce. So if your income is low enough, what's low enough? Well, I told you about that uh, 385350 uh, number as of January 1st. If the combined what we call non-countable resource income is less than that, then there's a formula where you can keep more assets. All right, so typically what is non-countable resource income? Social security, a pension. Well, if you're getting RMDs on a monthly basis, uh, they would look at the required minimum distributions from your IRA. Add that together. If it's less than that 
3853.50 number, then there's a formula to see if you could expand. So the lower your amount is, it's based on interest rate. So the lower the interest rate, the more you can protect. So it's possible that even though you had $500,000, if your income was low enough, let's say the combined income was $2,300 of Social Security between the two of them. Mm -hmm. All right, well, that's a $1,500 shortfall. How much do I need of assets to generate enough interest to make up that $1,500 at today's interest rates wherever you bank? It doesn't have, it's based on CD rates, and so you don't um, you want the lowest rate, not the best rate, on right. the, where the CD, you wouldn't have to purchase the CD, but you want the lowest rates. So this is not a paid political announcement mm -hmm. or <laughs> any announcement. So where would you want to shop for your lowest interest rates? Those big banks like Bank of America, mm -hmm. uh, Chase, mm -hmm. or Wells Fargo mm -hmm. uh, would typically have the lowest interest rates. Seem to. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so if somebody had an account, this again, I'm not trying to promote any uh, bank, uh, but if you had a lower interest rate and you were close, uh, you might have an account at one of those banks, and then you could increase the amount of assets that could be maintained without spending that three hundred and fifty thousand. It's a great solution. Yeah. So that's and the reason again was now remember when back in the eighties. When this law was first created, so this isn't new. Right. What was inflation then? Remember yeah. during Carter and Reagan days. I do. Originally, it was like interest rates were twenty percent at I one remember. time. Right. Yeah. Uh, if you remember, so interest rates were a lot different than they were today. So, even if interest rates were at six percent then and now they were at one percent, that's six times more that you could protect than you did when the law was originally created. So maybe. Uh, sometimes uh, the law doesn't catch up with the economy. Well said. Yeah. yeah. So, so now, um, if the income was too great, it should be mentioned that often the well spouse, you put the assets in the name of the well spouse, and there's a certain type of Medicaid-compliant annuity that could be purchased in the name of the well spouse. So in other words, let's say the well spouse alone had... That was a teacher or was a military veteran that had high income. Let's say it was four thousand a month. They couldn't get any kind of diversion. They uh, they could buy a certain type of annuity in their name. There are certain rules as to what you have to do to uh, protect uh, to go by those uh, rules for Medicaid. I, I don't know they'll have too much time, but just realize that you could buy the certain type of annuity that's okay for Medicaid because it would have to, after spouse, name the state as a remainder beneficiary to the extent that Medicaid benefits have been advanced. So that way, so as a result, often people buy a shorter-term annuity to reduce that risk. But there is still that risk, and so if you buy that annuity within their name. So um, if the um, uh, so, so if the person's assets were 50000 and their income was greater than that uh, 38.53.50 limit, where I'm going to have to get down to that new limit of 30,829. So even if you have 50, even though it's below the 154,150, uh, which was the maximum, you still have to spend down to get to that 30,829 limit uh, as of January 1st to do that. 
you could just either buy some exempt resources. So in that case, you probably, although it depends on the facts, you mm-hmm. either buy things that do not count or pay bills or use the gifting exceptions that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, on a show on mistakes people make on the Medicaid application. Again, all these shows are on podcast that are archived if anybody so desires to hear that. And you're going to have to listen to the program probably 63 times to understand what Michael understands so easily here. But for you to make certain that you protect yourself and you don't make mistakes, sign up for his next workshop, which you would attend in person Thursday, December the 14th at 10 a.m. And Michael, we've got about two minutes left of the program. Just invite people to that workshop and tell them what goes on. Well, we ask people what they don't want to know. It mm-hmm. could be on estate planning. It could be about wills. It could be about trust. It could be about powers of attorney that we've just talked about today. Mm-hmm. It could be about veterans benefits. It could be about Medicaid benefits, which we've talked about more in detail today. Yep. Uh, all, we never know what people want to ask, and we... We just ask people, what do you want to know? Mm-hmm. And so we write those on a board, uh, and we proceed over that two-hour free workshop to answer the questions uh, of whatever your questions are. Uh, and then we'll also have a presentation uh, where we have basics, whether it be on estate planning, wills, mm-hmm. trust, uh, or it will be on Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll also have something on Medicaid, kind of like what we've talked about here today, Great. but more in-depth. Uh, and we'll just say, what is it you want to know? And then uh, you'll learn something from not only your own questions that you ask, but also from the questions of others. Uh, and even if you didn't want to talk in front of others because you just said you just wanted to learn, then we have a private one-on-one meeting uh, that would be scheduled, uh, a free vision meeting. Mm-hmm. So three free hours. Only By the way, that vision meeting is only to those who attend the workshop. Okay. So it's something free, three free hours of legal education without any obligation. Mm-hmm. To go to that or sign up for that workshop, all you have to do is call 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102 or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com, DallasElderLawyer.com. Two free hours of legal education without any uh, obligation at all. You can go to the uh, vision meeting as well Mm -hmm. and without obligation. So basically three free hours of uh, legal education without any cost or obligation. To throw it in, you get a free KWM coffee mug, and you know Christmas is coming, so yeah. I think that's what people are clamoring for. You do? No, you don't. But um, you want to make sure your estate plan is exactly the way you want it to be. Go to the workshop and see Michael in person so you can see for yourself why he should be trusted and he should handle your estate plan, in my opinion. Then go to that free vision meeting where you can have the one-on-one with Michael and see again. Couple that with what you hear on this program over the last 10 years he's been on KAAM. You don't, much, you don't need much more credibility than that after those uh, three ways of sizing Michael up, determining he's the best person for the job. He is for me. He should be for you, too. Go to that next workshop Thursday, December the 14th at 10 a.m. Dial 214-720-0102 or go to DallasElderLawyer.com to see Michael Cohen in action in person. Michael Cohen, I thank you, sir. Thank you, Don.
leading estate planner practicing law in Dallas, Texas for decades now, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the estate planning laws that can affect your family and you. The first step is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com to sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on 770 KAAM since 2013, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate and complete what could currently be a deficient estate plan. Make sure it's done your way and sign up for his next workshop today.